4: Hi, everyone, it's me, your adorable harp seal warrior, Goose. I'm, my name's Goose, I'm tiny, I'll, I'll kill a man in cold blood, and this is my walrus friendo, and I'm great, and nothing bad's ever gonna happen to me.
3: Hey, everybody, it's your. Television headed robot man uh, who's very weirdly horny all the time and incredibly unlikable, but then likable again, then unlikable again. It just keeps going back and forth. Loser Holden McNeely. Lying. <laughs> lying. And this is our lying cat.
4: Lying. I'm actually a person.
3: <laughs> this episode is actually a Patreon sponsored episode from Benjamin Powell. Thank you so much, Benjamin who wrote, uh, could you plug the National Suicide Prevention Hotline? 1-800-273-8255. I know that's quite different than my original request, but it's a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. And if any listeners are struggling, I want it to help. And if listeners feel compelled, could you also ask that they donate to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention? Thanks so much for y'all's time. I can absolutely do that, Benjamin. Once again, the hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Please reach out if you need some help. Uh, Thank you so much, Ben. Let's get on with the show. We are here to talk about Saga. And man, talk about a whirlwind experience for this guy. Because for me personally, uh, I read the first trade way back when, when my roommate got it. Um, He would just kind of when he was done reading his trades, he would he would throw it on the back of the toilet. You know what I mean? So when you went in, you could read something good. I read the first trade. I was like, this is interesting, but I never continued. And I don't know why. And I knew that it was great. And Marcus always championed it. And so many other people, this this comic book. And finally, in order to prepare for this episode, I read all of it. So my gush is fresh. I got a fresh juicy gush for you jake and i believe you do as well but also a man all right first of all jake i would like to sell people on this so i will say this the the comic book is on a big cliffhanger uh and it is on an uh, a long hiatus that is uh running now for two years um and but i also if you're new to it i want you to know we will save all the big spoilers for, I think like near the end of the show and we will announce when we're going to talk about it. Sound good to you, Jake? That sounds fair. Right. So we will kind of do the history, which we'll really try to entice you into lo- like wanting to check this thing out because uh, it's more important to me that more more people read this than it is to get into that sort of stuff until later in the episode. And I just have to say, wow, 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 Saga's great! <laughs> it's incredible. It's <laughs>
4: insane. It's it, it's this very weird thing where, at a moment in time where, like, so few people are reading, like, honest-to-God comic books anymore. Here is this, like, last gasp of just quality, creator-owned, independent, uh, you know, sequential art that uh, has now been... It's it sucks so bad that the hiatus has been going this long. But Ugh. um just just for example, like Saga is a blockbuster comic. It is one of the best-selling comics published today. It is constantly at the top of the New York Times graphic novel section whenever a new volume is in print. Uh it's in Funko Pops, it is posters, it is t-shirts. It is one of the most prominent titles in comic book stores today and uh there the smash number 1 issue the first floppy that was in five reprints and was like on top of the number 1 charts uh sold about 70,000 copies total for uh comparison that same month that it was uh released the uh season 7 finale of army wives also was released and 2.51 million people <laughs> watched that <laughs> Army-wise, <laughs> so it's like this—it's this incredibly profound and important work for this tiny, weird, like last fortress of comic book readers—that makes it such uh, an emotional,
3: uh, artistic endeavor. And it's also just one writer, just one artist. It's so cohesive, and it's so—it's also given room to breathe. They take a break after every six issues. Now we're on this very long hiatus, which honestly is as much as it bums me out that because especially where the story stops and we are at the halfway mark, it is 54 issues total right now. The plan is to do another 54. We're like dead in the middle of this sto- of this epic story. But I do appreciate that they, they do have this ability to take the time off and that they are doing that as opposed to Rushing stuff out and and that sort of thing. Using fill-in artists, using all these kind of things. Um, It's it's so pure, in other words, is what I'm getting at. It's this pure thing, creatively, that's incredible, that it has not been adapted. The idea, even though he has uh, danced around with it, the writer Brian K. Vaughn has said that they have considered possible adaptation sometime in the future, actually. So it's not as, but but really the intent was this is going to be too wild, too huge, too filthy to be anything but a comic book. And yeah. again, that purity, that purity is so important.
4: If you're going by early interviews, the idea was this was something that was going to exist as a comic book, something that could only exist as a comic book, and something that did everything that comic books did right, and therefore uh, the point was never to adapt it. And now in later interviews, you can he he says stuff like, oh, well, you know, if the right pitch comes along, it hasn't happened yet. But if like somebody in someone in theory could get an adapt adaptation made.
3: Yeah, which is totally cool. But it is kind of amazing that for now, the only place to see this is is in its original, pure form. And this thing. What do we love about it, Jake? What do you love so much about it? Let's gush it out. Let's get the gut our gusher going. Uh,
4: first of all, the first thing we haven't even mentioned any of like the actual meat and potatoes plot and story because no, we, uh, the why fundamentals. Don't I just
3: really quickly, say it follows a husband and wife team, Alana and Marco, who are from opposing sides of a galactic war that they are forced to flee from after having a daughter named Hazel. Okay, so if you've never heard of this before, you have that basic idea. It's like a hero's journey type of a thing. It's like Filthy Star Wars, but where the sides are grayed uh, in terms of the war that's going on. There is no good versus evil here. There, it is more like real war and plays in a lot of that. For me personally, um, this is one of the only, maybe the only, if if not the only, definitely one of the only comic books that made me cry uh, Mm -hmm. yesterday. (laughs) So that was something else I was not expecting at all, especially when you're dealing with like a lot of floppy dongs in this bu- book mm-hmm. there's a lot of um you know ridiculous like sex joke stuff in here and and over the top Uh, monsters and things like that, Uh, you know, that (laughs) there's an abortion town. I mean, it's it's really wild and colorful and all over the place, but also hits this emotional core that just blindsided me over the past few days. So
4: I think one of the core things that this book does so incredibly well is that the greater story literally involves a galaxy-spanning, centuries long war between a total science fiction technology planet and a lord of the rings ass magic moon and so within so once you've already established that these two things exist you can now literally have anything happen in this universe you can have curses right. you can have robots you can have dragons you can have just any anything possible within the realm of fiction can happen in this universe which is immediately just a boon So there's so much imagination. Every new location, every new character can be anything the creative team dreams it can be with its own unique rules. Um, So that's
3: already an amazing universe. But then you add this element of this is really Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples communicating about their personal lives Mm -hmm. and about what's happening. You know, Brian K. Vaughn gets this inspiration from having a child and, and raising that child. And so much, so much of what's happening in this wild, all anything-goes-insane world that they've created, there's this fucking amazing heart underneath all of it and, and, and truth underneath all of it that is just absolutely incredible. Within a plot line about a
4: galactic pirate pro-wrestling circuit... <laughs> There is one of just like the realest couple fights I've ever seen Yeah, about just like a new, just a pair of new parents being like, were you high in front of our kid? That's like, you can't do like just literally having like a real ass, like real ass fight. And it's that, that, that whiplash between the fantastical and the immediately relatable that is so intoxicating and gets every and makes every issue a page turner
3: yeah and i think slowly but surely because especially okay so it's seven trades right and Mm. so the fifth and the seventh trade um it takes a you know so it takes a while to get there too they earn it slowly through telling these people's stories but then they just they start to hit you in the gut and they fucking earn it so well. And for me, it's so crazy because I feel like I read this the wrong way. And even Brian K. Vaughn said himself, and it's, it's, we talked about this on the Twin Peaks episode as well, where we had to uh, bash through The Return, which was like, I would never say, I'd recommend that to anybody. Like, do not binge watch Twin Peaks The Return. It's the wrong way to watch that show. But we did it anyway, and this is no different. Brian K. Vaughn himself was like, this is the we, this is intended for you to read like month by month, issue by issue and man blasting through this i mean honestly i don't know i kind of recommend it at the same time cuz i had a fucking awesome yeah. time reading this comic book over the past few days uh, you know over the well really i started a few weeks ago but but bashing through the second half of it essentially and 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 uh, uh over the past few days was uh, just incredible like i just have this this heavy heart and this weight and you know it hit these these emotional um, high points, I think, at a time when like I do, I, I as much as I try to numb myself with with stuff like Jersey Shore and like you know what I mean, <laughs> like uh, stuff like that that I've been watching as as a way to kind of block everything out. I mean, this is making me feel in a way that I think is also cathartic and important, especially right now in this weird ass year.
4: So I think one of the most brilliant things about the series is that it's kind of like peak Game of Thrones, where mm. it does affect you. There are, you know, we're living in a universe where life is cheap and beloved characters are not immune to that. So, like, at any given point, uh, the violence can come crashing down on people and you're just kind of like, oh, that character just died. Fuck. Like, And you feel that real mourning. But it's not so uh, heady and it's not so... Uh, you know, intricate and uh, metaphorical, and all these things. You know, it's not h- the highest of literature. It is genuine popcorn entertainment. It's just right. incredibly well done popcorn entertainment. I don't want people to think that this is like the great graphic novel of our era. This is right. just prestige TV. Good, good, well written, well executed, well well drawn.
3: drawn, dude. The wit, the expressiveness. In the And we'll talk a little bit about why, how Fiona Staples actually managed to get these. She actually does her own acting, which is really interesting. But the acting in this book. The acting is so well drawn. I can't even tell you how expressive and amazing these just panel to panel, these, these characters can be. Including one, and she loves writing for the robot characters, but including uh, characters that don't even have a face. They're mm-hmm. just a TV screen, and yet she's still able to evoke. And yeah, images pop up that that straight up tell you what <laughs> how they're feeling, how they're thinking or feeling. But but uh, much to their chagrin, too. I love how they like can't control it in moments, and it gets really awkward. Um, but but uh, also when the screen is blank, still are able to convey this uh, 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 f- an emotion and a feeling. It's fucking. I'm just like uh, clearly you can hear it in my voice. This so it's probably going to make for a good episode. <laughs> Clearly, I'm like thrilled by this property now, and I'm just so happy to be caught up with the rest of the world on this one. And I hope that you consider getting caught up, too. As we talk about this, like I said, we'll get into spoiler territory. And when we do, we will announce that and that will be saved for the uh, final minutes of the uh, episode. Uh, so sit back, relax and enjoy this wild ride that is Saga. With old Jake and Holden back at it again.
4: We're going to tell a story of a creative work that's loosely associated with nerd media. That includes comics, anime, video games, and TV. Also movies. It's very loosely defined.
3: Wow, that was actually a really good like country voice you got going there. You should really consider going to Nashville, Jake.
4: I really should. The world is ready for my <laughs> obese 36-year-old Jewish ass.
3: Country world's going to love you down there, dude. They're going to just embrace you with open arms down there, bro.
4: And I'm going to drive my Ford 150 <laughs> truck to the matzo ball soup restaurant. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Alright here we go Brian K. Vaughn Let's start with him And then we'll talk about uh, Miss Staples In just a second here Born and raised in Ohio He and his brother Had a big love For the work of Peter David Whose 12 year run On The Incredible Hulk Was a massive part Of their childhood And the themes of this run Included Hulk's Multiple personality disorder The difference between The big angry dumb green Hulk And the cerebral gray Hulk As well as the journeyman ver- Hero version of Hulk And you can learn A lot more about that In our Incredible Hulk Episode I think episode. The key- the key thing about the Peter David Hulk run is
4: uh, really just fucking around with the kind of stories you can actually tell within the confines of guy turns big and green when mad. <laughs> uh-huh.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, absolutely. That, uh, taking,
4: like, the limita- taking what are supposed to be these huge limitations of comic books and genre fiction and just saying, like, fuck it. I'm going to tell some interesting shit. And like, as long as it sells, as long as like readers care, nobody's going to
3: stop me. Right, right. Another big influence on Vaughn was Joss Whedon and that he actually served as his inspiration to become a writer himself. After high school, Vaughn went to study film at the New York University's Tisch School of the Arts and also participated in the Stan Hatton Project, a writer's workshop via Marvel Comics and NYU that strove to develop new writing talent. For the comics industry, his first credit he in comics broke my
4: heart already with the Joss Whedon thing because when <laughs> deep down, <laughs> Brian Vaughn really does write some Joss Whedon ass stories. Yeah. Everybody's like whip crack with the snarkiness. Yeah, uh, all the female characters are like fierce and independent and yep. kick ass. Uh, you know, he's
3: like a dirty Whedon. He's tons like a dirty of death. Whedon. Absolutely
4: yeah. a dirty Whedon. Oh my god, it really fuck. It
3: really is just good Whedon. Is this? Fuck. Are we done? Is that the end of the episode? Are we? Are we Saga now? Saga is fall? good. Whedon. Remember how good Whedon was? <laughs> yeah, Saga's good. Whedon. Yeah, Saga's good. Whedon. I go with that. Saga's good. Whedon. Uh, But either way. Oh my
4: God! I'm still shook. <laughs> Fuck.
3: His first credit in comics was for Marvel's Tales from the Age of Apocalypse number no. two in the mid nineties. Batman. Uh, he went on to write for characters such as Spider-Man and Captain America, as well as Batman and Green Lantern for DC Comics. And Jake. Buffy the Vampire Slayer for Dark Horse Comics. It's good, (laughs) Whedon. After that, Vaughn decides he'd rather write his own characters in the early 2000s and became well-known in the comics world for his monthly series, Why the Last Man. Jake?
4: The early 2000s, Brian K. Vaughn breaks out big with a lot of creator-owned releases and uh, the runaways for Marvel. And, like, uh, it's just... He's on another—he's immediately thrown into that, like, same royalty as all the other—as Warren Ellis, as um, Uh Garth Ennis. Uh, I'm drawing a blank—Ultimate Spider-Man guy. Neil Gaiman. Brian Michael Uh, Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis. There we go. Yeah, definitely part of that 2000s elite uh, writer tier of that kind of semi-boom in comics that was happening.
3: Now, I feel like Why the Last Man probably eventually gets its own episode, but just very briefly, I—by the way, it's about— uh, the uh, uh, the only man to survive in a post-apocalyptic world and this receives a ton of critical acclaim. and Jake, did you read why the last man? Uh, another comic? Book? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that's one of those ones too that I've just never gotten around to that I plan on reading someday. He uh,
4: writes he he writes it and uh, it's drawn by Pia Gu- Guerrera, I believe is the name of the artist mm. um, and much like Saga, a part of it really does hold up with the fact that he writes in these like really tight, five, six issue arcs that lend itself to trades really well. Um, He sticks with the same artist the whole way through. And that really uh, allows it to feel like a cohesive work. There's no weird fill in artists. And, you know, uh, it just it makes the work kind of last longer, even with delays that inevitably arise with those limitations. He also did uh, Ex Machina, which was actually one of my favorite Mm -hmm. books that he did at the time, which was kind of this like post 9-11 superhero West Wing about a uh, superhero who can control machines by speaking to them. And one of the first things that like we learn happens is he told one of the planes on 9-11 to not hit the building. And like he eventually gets elected as mayor of New York City from that level of fame. And um, like all, yeah, all of these works have like really big hooks, uh, innate understanding of how to like, Keep people reading with big cliffhangers and big mystery boxes. You know, this is the same era as like Lost and Battlestar Galactica reboot. Like we were kind of we were refining a very specific kind of genre storytelling to its like absolute razor's edge. And Brian K. Vaughn was at the leading edge of that edge. I'm a terrible speaker.
3: By the way, uh, Why the Last Man was 2002 and -hmm. The Runaways started in 2003. So just, just before. Yeah. But either way, uh, that's his work in comics. But he also, uh, his work on Why the Last Man leads him to getting a writing job on the show Lost for seasons three through five. Literally like an executive or somebody walked up to someone else and handed him Why the Last Man. I think it was Damon Lindelof. I think it was
4: because he was a big dumb comic book nerd.
3: He was literally just like, we need more guys working for the staff like this and handed a... (laughs) Why the last man? And then they just hired him.
4: (laughs) And uh, famously, Lost had kind of gone into a tailspin in season two. People had kind of like the illusion. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The illusion of the big mysteries kind of falling apart was like kind of it was showing its ass a little. And definitely the addition of Brian K. Vaughn brought it, like, roaring back into the popular mindset. It definitely, like, got a new lease on life with his edition.
3: And he's later chosen by Steven Spielberg to adapt to the Stephen King novel Under the Dome into a TV series for Showtime, which is a job he left sometime after the first season. And at this point, I think he's just getting a little disgruntled with, uh, the you know, the working in tele- the television industry, with with people interfering with his work. All that sort of things. So. I mean,
4: this is literally a guy who came to prominence for telling creator-owned stories. For actually, yeah. like, calling the shots and letting things play out in a way that he sees fit. And he gets kind of, I mean, you know, obviously he did well for himself. But he got a little chewed up in the machinery. Right. So, here is this guy who had his, you know, a comic book, legions of comic book fans. Why the Last Man was a huge bestseller. Uh, the Runaways was a huge bestseller. And so he was, he could announce anything for his next big project. Like, yeah, like whatever his grand reti- Also, oh, and we completely
3: glazed over uh, the lions of Baghdad, Pride mm. of Baghdad, I think it was Pride of Baghdad centers on a group of lions who escaped from an Iraqi zoo after the start of the Iraq war. Great little graphic novel, incredible oh, yeah. little graphic novel, if uh, especially at the time
4: when like uh, actually telling a story about the Iraq war was like a little bit of a dicey proposition. Incredible job. So he kind of, you know, people were waiting for him to kind of come back as the hometown hero of comic book writing. So like the build up to saga, the anticipation was palpable.
3: And we're going to anticipate it a little bit longer because let's talk about Fiona Staples leading up to their partnership. She is a Canadian who grew up on children's fantasy books such as The Princess and the Goblin, Dragon of the Lost Sea, The Red Wall Series and The Chronicles of Narnia. She was also inspired to go into the comic store after a girl in her science class showed her a comic called Rising Stars, which led her to get into more comics, but from indie publisher Top Cow Productions. She Did a lot of-
4: loves that, like that Fathom era, Dog, Top Cow, Bad Girl, uh, con- like heroine. She like praises those constantly.
3: Staple said, afterwards, I went to the comic store in the mall and they showed me other Top Cow books like F5 and Aphrodite 9. I was like, she has a bikini and a massive gun. She's tough and sexy. Incredible. Because obviously I'd never seen a 90s comic book before. One of my favorites was Tony Daniels Adrenaline about a teen goth cyborg with huge boots. I grew out of bad girl comics eventually and started looking for stories with more nuanced portrayals of women, but those comics were as good a place as any to start, and she later gets into Heavy Metal magazine uh, while working at a comic store and, quote, fell in love with more painterly art. The magazine definitely opened my eyes to the range of techniques and styles that are possible in comics.
4: Uh, As, uh, like all other uh, young women at the time, she also loved reading Archie, which will come into play later, but... (laughs) Archie is almost its own separate thing from the world of the big two comic book publishers.
0: Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him.
1: Sometimes, doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost.
2: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
0: Mix things up with any size lemonade
2: or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: Right, right. Uh, So she initially started out with a traditional drawing that she would then scan into Adobe Photoshop and eventually created all of her work digitally. Her first published work was called Amphibious Nightmare, which is a 24-hour comic included in an About Comics anthology back in 2005. After that, she did various projects like the trick-or-treat graphic novel adaptation of the film of the same name, as well as a 2080 story Button Man written by Fraser Irving. But nothing like massively splashy popular, right? I mean, well, this was really she... a headhunt job by Kay Vaughan. She
4: was um, she went to the Alberta College of Art and Design as an illustration major focusing on narrative art, which is was there like uh, storyboards, comic book art, that kind of thing. And she was just kind of putting her stuff out there online. She had a uh, very, very, very short lived webcomic called Teens in Love in Space that was co-written by her brother. And she just started picking up like, yeah, loose freelance work uh, in comics include, yeah, like the Trick or Treat uh, adaptation uh, a comic called Done to Death which was kind of this like pre-twilight vampire parody uh a lovecraftian kind of horror series called North 40 and she eventually got in with uh Wildstorm Comics uh writing what was it um it was a continuation of a series created by uh Ashley co-created by Ashley Wood who was her like big influence in comic book art at the time who does this like Really lush, but scratchy, kind of like dark, uh, kind of mixed media, like very outside the box comic book art. Uh, In fact, in a panel in 2012, uh, right before the book was launched, she did it uh, at like ImageCon in Oakland with Brian K. Vaughn. And one of the first things she said was like, thank God you didn't find me five years ago because I would have just been another Ashley Wood clone and you would have looked right past my work.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's very unique, especially in Saga. And we'll talk more about her process for specifically Saga. But she does this really cool combination of, as she mentioned before, painterly art mixed with hand-drawn stuff. But in this digital format, it's it's really cool, her process.
4: It was, it was a big deal at the time that she was working digitally. She was kind of this first wave of like young uh, artists that were uh, more comfortable with a Cintiq than a vellum, you know, poster board. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. had her own Tumblr for years that you can still, whatever survived of it, you can find her old drawings. Like, you know, she was just a young, hungry artist that like, had settled into this horror niche, and like, after enough, uh, she worked on uh, an Authority spinoff book about Jack Hawksmore, who's like the god of cities, if if you were ever an Authority fan. You know, she was making a name for herself. She was like, She definitely had, like, uh, uh, she was doing incredible cover art. She had won so many awards for, uh, well, I believe it was a Schuster Award for, like, the year 2011 for her cover art. Which, again, these lush, digital, painterly things that kind of complemented the interior art that she did. Um, So, like, she was a rising star, but it was definitely up to Brian K. Vaughn to, like, pick her from all of the other rising stars that he had, he could have just picked out anybody because they'd be willing to work with him.
3: So Vaughn ends up actually, he was crafting the world of saga back in school. It was quote, a fictional universe that I created when I was bored in math class. I just kept building it. He was also highly influenced of course, by star Wars as well as by flash Gordon. And in terms of this sort of applications of comics, the character silver surfer, which was a standout concept to him in his early years. I love this quote uh, Vod has about Star Wars. I'm part of the generation that all we do is complain about the prequels and how they let us down. And if every one of us who complained about how the prequels didn't live up to our expectations just would make our own sci-fi fantasy, then it would be a much better use of our time. And I just so agree with that sentiment, especially in today's age when it's so easy to just sit around and complain about everything that's happening. Like, just just, you know what, maybe just try to stay in your lane and just put out as much good stuff as you can. And you might get it back your way, hopefully, at some point in time. He refers to the comic as, quote, Star Wars for perverts. And <laughs> that is in reference to Saga. And uh, but the real spark, however, came after his wife got pregnant with their second daughter, which led to the creation of our protagonist. Vaughn said, I wanted to write about parenthood, but I wanted to Trojan horse it inside some sort of interesting genre story to explore the overlap between artistic creation and the creation of a child. He was also finding similarities between making comics and babies, as the economy was rough at the time and people on all sides were advising not to put out a new comic or a baby at that time. Vaughn said, I realized that making comics and making babies were kind of the same thing, and if I could combine the two, it would be less boring if I said it in a crazy sci-fi fantasy universe and not just have anecdotes about diaper bags. I didn't want to tell a Star Wars adventure with these noble heroes fighting an empire. Vaughn also said, "I've always thought, and this is, uh, and this is how he frames the war and and what the war is in connection to the comic. I've always thought that war is as important to our story as it was to the movie Casablanca. Great example, I think, uh, which is to say, it matters a lot, but not nearly as much as the lives of the ordinary people at the forefront of the story matter. The war is always happening in the periphery. The world's war is always happening." As a, as a way to affect these people, these, these, these beings, uh, as opposed to the, the main event.
4: So I have a lot of choice moments from this ImageCon panel right before the book came out. This is one, Brian talking about the same thing about the role of the war in the story. Uh, this is Brian K. Vaughn saying, I really wanted to write a story about non-combatants, where it seems like all these stories now are about people who are out there to destroy the Empire. I just wanted to have some people who just wanted out. People who didn't want to be a part of this nonsense anymore, which is uh, a lot of how, you know, once you bring a life into the world, you kind of like don't want to burden them with a lot of shit. Um, Even the first page, literally the opening panel of Alana giving birth to Hazel, uh, you know, is this close up of her just like grimacing, covered in sweat. And her first words to the reader are, Am I shitting? It feels like I'm shitting. <laughs> like, Brian K. Vaughan wanted that opening line because it's not just about creating life. Like you said, it's about creating anything Poof. in general.
3: <laughs> oh, or anything in general. Um,
4: you know, uh, even the act of writing, the act of, yeah, the act of birth, the act of uh, just making anything where you don't know whether you are, like, doing this holy act of, of birthing life into the world or if you're just shitting everywhere.
3: Right, and then also, you, t- you also hit on... Just the element of certain realities that we have that don't get talked about a lot, being put into this extraordinary tale that, that almost gives it more weight. Like, and it's something I think is more common now to know that most of the usually when a woman gives birth, she has a bowel movement as well. <laughs> um, but uh, that you know, it's those sorts of things that you can tell he's clearly like experiencing in his own life with his wife and with their child that he's injecting into this thing in a way that's not made to look like it's this beautiful miracle f- wonderful thing you know what i mean but it's like no like like it's messy and and love is messy and parenting is messy and you get that in in this fantasy world better than you get it in media that's about the real world at times i think one of the one of the huge
4: things about saga is that Uh, Marco, our handsome, uh, ram-horned, he basically looks like a Japanese supermodel, uh, and Alana, our uh, winged, uh, bad girl turned uh, soldier, are both like, they've both already hit the end of our traditional comic book hero's journey. They met each other, they Mm -hmm. beat the odds, and they had their kid, and they both have these strong morals of how they want to live their lives. Like They were through the fucking gauntlet, and they emerged life keeps going after that. And like when and how you compromise when you run and when you fight, uh, you know, when uh, the way you intend things to go gets out of your hands. And this is another quote from the panel. uh, Why do you bring new things into the world when sometimes the world doesn't want new things? Mm. These are the emotions of someone in their late twenties, early thirties. These are like kind of grown-up feelings that don't get addressed a lot. In well, these kind of stories
3: and it's also awesome to see this badass Marco who's like a who can absolutely mow down fields of, of enemies and and take on the most powerful of adversaries battle with his own violence that he's wrought upon the world and 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 pontificate about whether that is right or or what you know whether it just begets more violence and his attempts to stop being violent. As as the story goes on and that becoming this fascinating issue to deal with, it's fun to see the hero have those sorts of questions and and work through that stuff. Um,
4: so once Fiona was on board, uh, they agreed to be co-owners. I think now, uh. Uh, phonographics, the uh, the the nom de plume of their letterer, also has a share of the profits. But uh-huh. Image Comics offered them a deal that was like, "We'll cover our printing costs; you get everything else," which is an incredibly sweet
3: deal. Yeah, Vaughn said, "I think Image might be the only publisher left that can still offer a contract I would consider quote fully creator owned." Saga is a really important story to me, so I wanted to guarantee a, a guarantee of no content restrictions. ...or other creative interference, and I needed to maintain 100% control and ownership of all non-publishing rights with the artist. Uh, He also said, When I was lucky enough to write for major companies like Marvel and DC, I always had an army of editors, assistant editors, interns, and countless other people helping to turn my script into a finished printed book. I never dreamed that I could make comics without the benefit of that vast infrastructure. But it turns out that you can really make something that's every bit as professional looking as a quote mainstream comic with only a small handful of very dedicated creators. It's a ton of work and it's not for everyone. But if you're successful, you also get to keep all the profits that would normally go to finding uh, to funding, rather, that aforementioned vast infrastructure. So, yeah, and, and yes, the inker, uh, the letterer designer is, is uh, named Phonographics. Uh, I guess maybe that's an alias, but either way, a uh, big shout out to them as well, because Vaughn says they're just this hugely important part to making this th- thing a, a package that looks good, that that is super sellable, as it, as it would become.
4: Phonographics uh, handles the lettering and the, you know, the captions. Uh, some of the sound effects of some of the most famous sound effects that are usually stuff like sploosh and scrunch uh, are handled by him. He even designed this very, uh, the logo itself, this very like hmm. understated sans serif,
3: lowercase, uh, you know, just the word saga was done by him. Uh, but but the, you were about to say the element of Hazel narrating the story as an older Hazel, which is a huge element to all of this, it, spoiler alert from the very beginning, it seems that Hazel lives at least to a point where she can narrate this this epic tale. Um, But that is all handwritten by Fiona Staples. Uh, And I love this quote from Vaughn. Fiona and I know exactly what narrator Hazel looks like. And I know exactly how old she is and exactly what she's experienced by the time she's telling this tale. And another big element to this uh, that uh, very unlike Lost and some of these other things is that apparently Brian K. Vaughan knows like exactly what the final panel looks like. He knows where the story goes. He knows where the story is going to end. It, it gets slowly unraveled to Fiona slowly. She likes to kind of enjoy the story like we do in a lot of ways where she 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 gets it as she goes. And there's certain things like she knew. Like, we're not going to specifically say it just yet, but she knew exactly what was going to go down at the end of issue 54. That brings us to this this uh, rough cliffhanger spot that we're now uh, in, in some sort of purgatory. Can you guys just write? Just give me one issue and then take another hiatus. I just need one issue of the comic.
4: Fiona does a lot of the uh, story building herself through her art. Like, yes. the pages aren't so deep. It's not like a you know, Alan Moore kind of script where every single detail in every single panel is meticulously described. Uh, Again, from this uh, panel, you know, Brian says that he had Alana and Marco in the script as just handsome dude with horns, mom with wings. And, you know, it was up to Fiona to be like, well, are they, do they have to be white? Are you you just implying that they're white? And, you know, she was like, I kind of had this idea of like all the, you know, she showed him pictures of models and he was like, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it. Uh, his only, uh, his one genotype requirement was that Alana can't be a redhead. There's too many feisty redheads. It's played out.
3: <laughs> also, uh, you can thank Fiona Staples for the creation of the character. How do you pronounce his name? Gu- I just say Gus. I say is goose. It- goose. 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 I guess Gus. You know,
4: no, it would be, it would be, it has the, t- is it an the umlaut, umlaut lot. or a short, or
3: a short we'll just, I'll just say a goose. Either way, she created that character. Vaughn said, I knew he'd become a major part of our narrative the second I saw her first sketch of him. Also, uh, she's the reason why that rocket ship is a tree-like rocket ship. She super does not enjoy drawing mechanical objects. So all these, like, organic mean That organic means of transportation, all of this sort of stuff it, it is due to her preferences. So she definitely, definitely had some changes on that. I should say, too, I do have a little bit on how they met. Vaughn met Fiona Staples through a mutual friend named Steve Niles, who uh, you might know as the creator of 30 Days of Night. Niles worked with Staples on a book called Mystery Society. I think you mentioned it. Either That's a book I couldn't remember the name of. Oh, <laughs> it's the, the one where the, uh, yeah. Uh, Vaughn said her artwork is incredible it doesn't look like anyone else she is very unique when I opened up this file I was like this is going to work and they didn't actually meet in person until just before a panel they were on at the 2011 San Diego Comic Con uh, Mm -hmm. and she had received first billing since issue 25. And it has been the sole artist of the book. As we mentioned, Staples said, we're in agreement that in the long run, visual consistency and keeping our team small will benefit Saga more than putting out an issue every single month of the year. And I absolutely agree with that. Uh, Fawn always plans five issues ahead with the first six issues being the first story arc. And uh, he actually, if if the comic had not been a success, and he would have actually had Fiona and Mark, um, uh, or not Fiona, um, Alana? Name? Alana and Marco die on the rocket ship launch pad <laughs> at the end of issue six, if, if it wasn't. Uh, but it, of course, it became a massively wild success.
4: Fiona can actually uh, a famous thing uh, that she vetoed in the plot was uh, one of the characters has a sidekick named a lying cat who is this. Uh, very alien, you know, blue skinned, has like metallic scales and spikes all over it, but it's a giant, I guess you call it a Sphinx cat. Like one of those skinless cats.
3: A hairless. No, not skinless. No, you're right. Skinless
4: would be a very (laughs) weird cat.
3: Um, hairless cat. It's like an itchy and scratchy
4: comic or something. Yeah. Who impulsively says the word lying whenever anyone lies in its vicinity. Which is, like, an ironclad rule. It's kind of this amazing narrative device that, you know, while they're talking, like, if Lioncat is in the room, there are no secrets. It's kind of incredible. Uh, and during a big showdown in one issue, uh, it looked like Lion Cat was going to die. And Fiona wrote back, like, uh, nope, not going to draw this. I'll put a little spacesuit on this kitty and she'll be safe out there. I will <laughs> quit if you do anything terrible to this character. <laughs>
3: So my cat is going to be around for the long haul. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, So, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Fiona's process. Uh, She designed all of the characters, vehicles and alien races, as well as the painted covers for every issue. She uh, she renders the characters in a pen and ink style line with the backgrounds being akin to cell shading animation with layers. Staples said, I've always wanted to do a painted style comic. But in my experiments, I always found that painting the characters made them look very static. And somehow less engaging, probably because I'm not a good enough painter, which she laughs at at her own comment there. So in Saga, I decided to ink the characters and color them very simply, partly to shave a bit of time off, but mostly to make them clear and instantly readable. There's so much weird stuff going on in the book that it was vital that the action be understandable, 100%
4: it's incredibly the the between Brian and Fiona they do so much for the sake of readability and to make sure that it's not too intimidating for uh, newish comic readers. Um, I know Brian had laid out a like a, you know minimums on or maximums on how many panels can be in a page how many word balloons can be on a page and Fiona's deliberate choice to use flat shading pen and ink for the characters and these painterly backgrounds Yeah, is stolen from animation because it allows the maximum amount of like uh, empathy read a bit. You can see the expression, the pose and the placement of the character. And you can feel that you can like immediately read that. And then the backgrounds, which are more lushly painted, you can like kind of it's almost like VR. You kind of project yourself into the character and the things that aren't the character you experience through them. It's like a very time
3: honored technique. So, Staples has a, a, a little bit about each of those elements. I'll start with the backgrounds. With the backgrounds, she said, though, I felt like I had a bit more leeway stylistically. There's lots of dreamy spacescapes and foresty stuff and fantasy environments, which I just had a really strong desire to paint rather than draw. I was watching a lot of beautiful animation like Spirited Away and Tekken Concrete, and was super inspired by their evocative environments. Uh, Spirit Away, I think most people know about uh, Miyazaki's classic. Then you also have uh, Tekken King Creed, a manga series, which was adapted to a film which centers around a group of street kids that try and fend off the Yakuza that are attempting to take over their town, has a very evocative style. And then you also have these amazing facial expressions, which she does real acting to achieve. She said, I act everything out. After I've drawn my thumbnail layouts, I shoot a ton of photo reference. It saves time by taking a lot of the guesswork out of drawing the figures. And when I'm striking all the ridiculous poses, it forces me to get, quote, in character a bit and really think about each individual's body language. Like the Will's angry face is different from Clara's angry face, and Isabel talks with her hands more than the other characters. She pretty much has to be has to because she has less to work with and is never busy holding the baby. I mean, Special Agent Gale, who's kind of like the spooky black ops spy for the
4: uh, sci-fi planet, has some of the most amazing resting bitch face, like <laughs> just sick it's of great. it all expressions I've ever seen in comics.
3: Yeah. And, and and all of the background characters, like anybody in a scene has a, a an expression and a stance and a take that is instantly readable. So even just down to like these these side things you you just you know where everybody is at and and the characters are just so just 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 explode off the page like a stick of fucking dynamite jake
4: (laughs) i'll stop referring to this one panel but it was so eye-opening uh there's an amazing moment in the q a panel where you can't see him but this very nerdy sounding adult man uh just basically has a question for fiona and so he's like uh so when you're dealing with fantasy and technology, <laughs> what are your influences? Uh, would you say Gene Roddenberry or Flash Gordon? And without skipping a beat, Fiona immediately giggles and is like, um, no, I'm thinking Final Fantasy. I think they're the <laughs> ones who integrate magic and tech in the best, most ah, seamless way. Yeah, I yeah. just ate up that concept art. So that's probably the biggest influence.
3: Yeah, that's that makes so much sense, depending on the Final Fantasy you're talking about. Especially like three... Uh, has that or, or six in Japan or, or um, you know definitely seven? I mean, uh, really twelve. most twelve. She all mentions twelve. 12 yeah, a lot. twelve is great, and that makes so much sense. Well, twelve, obviously, the art in general just looks better because it's <laughs> like graphics improved, right? But they they go a hugely far away, and all the towns in twelve are 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 just very large and intricate and. So I totally said, damn, now I want to replay 12. It's
4: just a very funny moment where, like, you can see that, like, this she's representing a, like, new
3: generation. A, a younger generation, yeah. Mm. Flash Gordon is like, what? I mean, even to me, I'm like, Flash Gordon? But, yeah, yeah, for sure. It, that definitely makes sense. I so, mean, there
4: is a lot of, like, 60s swinging sci-fi retro feature sure. stuff going on as well. There's a lot of stuff going on.
3: There's a lot going on.
2: With this one, but uh,
3: either way, uh, Kayvon did not have to kill his protagonist in the first uh, at the end of the first six issue run because the comic does gangbusters. The comic sells out of its first printing ahead of its release date in March of 2012, and the second printing that dropped the same day as issue number two in April also sells out. And by August, it sold over seventy thousand copies, as Jake mentioned before the collected editions end up outselling the walking dead collections and the walking dead collections by the way uh, are just a smash hit because it has its own tv show at that point and so tons of people are, are going to the comic books and yet it's still outselling that after issue number six Vaughn announced that the series would take a two-month hiatus. Vaughn said, I seriously thought we'd be canceled by our sixth issue. Before we launched Saga a few years ago, I'd been out of comics for a while, and my previous publisher, Wildstorm, had just folded. It felt like the audience for creator-owned comics had started to uh, to contract or outright disappear, and a lot of my friends at other companies tied, uh, tried to dissuade me from launching something original in that kind of conservative marketplace, especially a story that had naked, full-frontal robots instead of superheroes. Vaughn also attributes this success to the most recent chief creative officer of Image, named uh, Eric Stevenson. And uh, Eric Stevenson came in, greenlit Robert Kirkman to put out The Walking Dead, and the rest is history. He essentially came in and revitalized Image Comics completely into this like amazing publisher that puts out creator owned work that puts out you know takes takes really cool risks and creates some really great stuff that's different from everything else out there so i think that's pretty dope shout out to eric stevenson uh and uh, also let's talk about to be continued which is uh, vaughn included a letters column at the end of each issue and i love this about it the only way to contribute is via actual handwritten <laughs> mail And that's the only way you can get in. I mean, I guess you could type it up, too, but whatever. You know what I mean? actual paper. And Vaughn mostly curates his own this column on his own. And Jake, you got to explore because I read the trades, So I didn't get to enjoy the to be continued as much as you did. But uh, you got to explore some of that, right?
4: Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of uh, nice back and forth between the audience and the writers. There one random letter column I read had a uh, cute little uh, wedding uh, or, I'm sorry, a uh, engagement proposal and, you know, like fans were eagerly awaiting for an answer for that and you got an update on that. <laughs> People, uh, you know, he answers questions like, um, uh, you know, uh, someone asked for his influences. Brian K. Vaughn wrote back like, uh, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird has been a huge influence on my life, as well as pretty much every other book I read in eighth grade. Especially Animal Farm, Ender's Game, Misery, The Good Earth, Hitchhiker's Guide, and at least two stories in The Further Adventures of the Joker, a collection edit- edited by Martin H. Greenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the There's also tons of behind the scenes stuff. You can see uh, Fiona Staples' artistic process and how she goes from kind of hand drawn, crude thumbnails to blowing them up to Uh, painting the backgrounds to adding the inks and color layers on the figures. Uh, There's even so many people were shocked by um, a nude giant in uh, a naked giant in issue seven, I believe, with I'm going to just say the nastiest balls I've ever seen in the history (laughs) of art. Just the nastiest ass balls. And so many people were talking about that, that uh, he actually (laughs) posted the script. And it is like. A one, two, three, four <laughs> paragraph description of the splash page full of apologies to Fiona for having to it, followed by the single line of dialogue, Mother, please.
3: Ah, I love um, it.
4: The most horrific attribute of the naked giant is the fact that he is indeed nude. Despite his size, the giant's flaccid penis is rather small and is mostly lost in a dense thicket of wiry pubic hair. Sadly, I promise, and I hate to type this. His testicles are not small; instead, <laughs> they are like two massive wrecking balls suspended in a wrinkly, sore, pocked scrotum that dangles all the way down between the towering giant's knees. <laughs> no wonder he looks so angry.
3: That is amazing, and that panel is that—that that is so upsetting. That that giant and his disgusting balls.
4: The the shock in the, like it's. This is one of those books that I, I call. A, a Subway time bomb yes. we are like you're reading it in public Because it's a nice wholesome Like family story and then All of a sudden you see something like say A giant disgusting Smegma crusted red Balls and you have to immediately My favorite is the
3: splash page <laughs> that is uh, uh, The robot Princess giving birth and it's literally just A close up on her vag with a Tiny TV Baby coming out of it and like This blue liquid all over the place and it's just like so huge and so so like over the top and it's and it's uh uh Meticulous detail that it's just like Man also I read two I of thought the you trades. were going to
4: say the uh, Adult male dragon going to town Guzzling <laughs> on his own gross oh, fucking dude. Giant dragon penis
3: Yeah that was an also a good one I did read this in the park yesterday and there were multiple times I had to look over my shoulder and just make sure no one was like Standing behind me It's uh,
4: insane how you forget You just forget and then yeah. out of nowhere There's just full cunnilingus of Gay orgy All of these fucking yes. crazy things just happening on the page with just such nonchalance.
3: There was even a point of contention. I believe it's issue 12 was uh, taken down from Apple's stores because it had a gay sex scene on uh, Prince Robot's face. And mm-hmm. I, there was a big call to arms about it because people you know, wanted uh, calling for artistic freedom. I do believe they were, did reestablish the issue eventually.
4: It was a very dumb thing because, like, depending on what app you bought it through and the very, like, and this, this, the, the, as Prince Robot is laying dying in the middle of a battlefield, what's flashing (laughs) before his eyes is a uh, pansexual orgy with him and his entire platoon because the opposite (laughs) of war is fucking, as we learned Mm. from uh, Mr. Heist, Mm -hmm. uh, the author. Uh, And, like, it's literally just a postage stamp. Compared to all the other nasty shit that the comic had already published, but be- I, I don't know. It's yeah. Very too, odd.
3: I love how it's all this all is sparked by a uh, trashy romance novel too. It's all all because of of that. It sets off this course of action uh, between these these different uh, factions and this romance. Uh, Jake, I am now ready to get into spoiler territory. Do you have anything else to say before we move on about? process, any of that stuff before we just talk about this whole hiatus and, and this cliffhanger.
4: No, nothing that important. Just a quote right. from another Brian K. Vaughn interview where, like, he himself d- has no idea of, like, what he's doing from issue to issue sometimes. And he's, like, terrified that he's just <laughs> fucking everything up constantly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he shits on his own writing. He's talked about that before. He um, definitely in the past has said, you know, I when you reread the books and you think, you know, what do you like most about your work or something like that? He's like, well, I hate my own writing, but I, I love looking at Fiona's art. And so uh, he always enjoys uh, combing through oh, that yeah. stuff. yeah. It
4: was an article on Boing Boing called Behind the Scenes at Saga – and it's just uh, his own internal monologue of when he's like, why does my story no longer work at all? This is when I really start second guessing every choice I made, often throwing out or reinventing whole scenes. Marco and Alana just can't sit around reminiscing for an entire issue, can they? It's a visual medium, you idiot. And now I'm suddenly doubting all the long-term plans I had for Slave Girl slash Sophie. Am I neutering our most formidable antagonist by having the will rescue her? Would it be more harrowing if he murdered her? Uh, why did I set this story in a fake make-believe universe when I can't? Fall back on stupid pop culture references.
3: <laughs> um, all right, here we go. If you are now enticed to read this comic, uh, I would say, and you haven't yet, you haven't gotten to issue fifty-four yet, or even um, in the into the final trade, final f- few trades. We're going to talk about some other stuff, I would say. Probably cut it off now go read the comic come back if you want to hear the end of this discussion but we're gonna get it as follow
4: wizard in the bruiser on <laughs> on all your favorite social medias go to patreon.com slash <laughs> wizard we'll things. see clean, you next time
3: clean the house uh, to maybe go on a jog or something you know take that vitamin D do all everything you got to do but don't listen to this because we're about to get spoilery okay so. On July 25th, 2018, issue number 54 was published, which ended the first half of the series run, and then it went into an extended hiatus. Why? Because God is mean.
4: They had gone into hiatuses before. Uh, Fiona has been open about the fact that she uses those intermissions to kind of get ahead of the work so that when they are starting a new arc, they can, like, release the issues, you know, in a timely manner, in a consistent manner, but... This was different. This was not a three-month, quote, vacationanza. This was, according, this is in the letters column in issue 54. uh, We plan to pause publication of this series for at least the next year. Uh, And it has since been two years. Uh, This obviously wasn't a decision we took lightly, but Fiona and I feel a responsibility to keep making the very best comic we can, and we both agreed that the only way to eventually finish the epic saga we set out to tell was with this one significant,
3: let's call it Intermission, And that happens, of course, with the brutal death of Margo. Uh, Vaughn said, We knew this point would come where there would be an uncomfortable transition to really make it clear that this is Hazel's story and her parents are a part of the story. But like for all of us, sadly, they're not a permanent part of that story. Staples said, Saga's plot building to this climax happens to coincide with my own feelings of mild burnout. It took seven years to get the story to this point and being under intense deadline pressure nearly the whole time was starting to wear me out. I also experienced a lot of loss and change in my life this year, and Saga's increasingly heavy themes began to hit close to home. It felt necessary to take a step back and let the book and ourselves breathe for a bit. Vaughn said, After each storyline, we discuss what did you like, what did you not like, what environments do you want to draw, what themes do you want to explore, but Fiona doesn't like exact spoilers. Fiona likes to read the script and have an emotional experience, and then uh, channel that into drawing. So I just had to be like, things that we maybe hinted at are going to be happening. Is there anything that's off-limits or that you would never want to do? But Fiona's the best. She's very trusting. She was like, I know it's going to be painful... And I hate you for it already. But let's do that story, what the story is telling us, what to do and be truthful to that. I will say she's actually she was actually quite pleased when she read his script because she thought he was going to take out both of the parents. So she was like, actually, (laughs) it was kind of like not as bad as I was worried it would be. I mean, the, the just the raw fucking
4: gut punch of it happening with Hazel's narration mirroring the last like lines of narration from issue one. That it's like literally was like thanks to my parents I get to grow old some people don't and it's like
1: fuck
3: so good and and really is conducive to rereads as not, well. everybody That's yeah, not, not everybody does yeah not everybody does it's so conducive for rereads as well because there are all these hints and little things throughout the whole the whole saga uh, that, that that lead us to that point. Uh, so, yeah. And, and also, and by the way, we didn't, and now that we're in spoiler territory, I also want to mention those four or five black panels after Alana loses the baby. Well, which just, is one of the most fucking, again, wow, like so emotional that end of that trade. That's the end of uh, trade five. And again, I was in the park. I was a beautiful day. I was like, I'm going to go to the park. It's going to be so great. I'm just going to hang out and read saga all day. This is going to be like the best day ever. And now you just see this grown ass man crying in a, <laughs> in a park.
4: <laughs> I mean, well, the black panels were after. So one of the most, it's kind of, it kind of mirrors the walking dead in a lot uh, of right, ways, w- because yeah, quite you'll, after you'll see the, um you'll see these, these heroes that like, they can never know peace. They can never, you know, the world is so hostile to their happiness, that like you feel just so bad when it's taken from them, and so those black panels happen when uh, one of yet again one of their sanctuaries. One of the uh, I believe Fang the Comet. They've befriended like this religious family of uh, meerkat people, <laughs> which again anything can happen in this universe.
3: Oh God, that's what it was. That's right. It's not when she loses the baby. She loses the baby, and then. The cutest one of the cutest characters in the whole book gets swallowed by a fucking a fucking time suck. Uh, (laughs) A planet
4: sized uh, destroyer fetus. Yeah. uh, Who is as he's being as he's being smothered to death, keeps exclaiming that like, I trust God. I believe I believe I'm not Uh, scared. And then just black panels. And and it's
3: and it's all done because they were going to avoid the time suck um so their faith was actually true but it was all artificially created by the uh the wings mm-hmm. uh through a, a little device that they use so it actually could have been avoided too which is, just makes even more of a gut punch it's just a rough man and it doesn't start at all like that i feel like it starts very you know i think by the end of maybe trade three with the author and everything or, or is it trade four there's some there's some like rough you know deaths and things like that but Man, those last three trades, because after that, then you go to abortion town in trade six, which has its own weight happening with it. And, you know, that whole the that whole is the ghost crazy, brother. And,
4: yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: the n wife and the ghost brother. And there's all this emotions happening there. And then the final trade, which starts so, so Hopeful. idyllic. <laughs> and, and you know, they're on this like vacation island, or, uh, planet, essentially. And, and, and then just the worst shit goes down. And by the way, Almost as difficult for me, which is insane because he's such a fucker for most of the comic, but seeing Prince Robot the fourth also right before Marco get have his life taken um by by in the in a very violent act by the will is like, man, it's just it was so heavy. It was so I I, I knew there was we a did, big ca- we rough- kinda
4: fucked up a little in our initial pitch to the non-believers by uh, I think we really did neglect how much the villains, the antagonists in this story are just as compelling. Again, Game of Thrones style, just as compelling and just as fleshed out and whose motivations are just as, uh, you know, within their story reasonable
3: as our heroes. And Vaughn kills it, too, with uh, making you love a character, then hate a character, then love a character again. He's able to really get you there. Uh, on and off and back on board or off and on and back off board with especially robot uh, Prince Robot the fourth and, and and the will the will the is will. a
4: very captivating I mean you know, he's very literally walking villain. around in a superhero cowl and yeah. like he has some kind of moral code but also he's like this fuck up and so many people around him get killed uh, the fucking stock. We didn't even mention the stock, which is one of the most batshit insane character designs I've ever seen. Mm. She's a naked from the she's a naked torso spider lady with just like tits out, no yeah. arms, because she's a spider lady, and beneath her skirt she has like eight hands, it's just all clambering, all holding weapons, and it's like so visceral and scary but then you like get used to her and she's like a beloved character.
3: Uh and then and then very well, very solid handling, at least I believe. I haven't read anything to conch- to to be to the contrary of this. Very, I think a pretty solid handling of a trans character. Oh, Petricor, uh, pe- yeah. Petricor. And uh that was I thought well done, very interesting, especially the conversation she has with Hazel about mm. it is really fascinating and uh yeah. But man, it's hard for me to like reread the. I was reading an interview about the hiatus where I got these quotes from, and I was even getting choked up because they showed the scene on the beach with uh, the dad, you know, mm-hmm. between and Hazel. Ugh, I just came and talk about it. It's I can't believe i feel this way about these characters. This is so rare for me. This is really rare for me. We both. Ex- we both. Ex- it's, I feel crazy that like there's people
4: who've been walking <laughs> around feeling like this for two years straight.
3: I know. And how much longer is it going to take? Maybe our. Maybe this happens sometimes with our episodes, Jake. Maybe this episode will conjure the return of Saga in the near future, as opposed to the far future. But I do, or in the case
4: of Venture Brothers, summon its immediate demise.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do, I do at least feel like uh, it. I, I do support and absolutely respect them taking this time off. I especially because I see that they do have a plan. The plan is 108 issues. The plan is 54 more issues. And, you know, I, I, I if Fiona is is pushed to the brink emotionally because of all this stuff and everything going on in her personal life. I mean, it's so, you know, mental health obviously is so important. And any time a video game gets delayed, it's the same thing. I'm like, good. I would rather them take the time to make an amazing game than rush out a glitchy bad game. Vaughn said, I realized from the beginning that I didn't want a fill in artist. Fiona is an equal collaborator in this. So from the very beginning, we had to figure out how are we going to do this? So every six issues, we took a little break in between. That really seemed to work and readers supported it. Like, we would rather have a little less of you every year in exchange for these consistent voices together. Fiona has drawn and colored all 54 issues. So we just knew there was going to be a point where we'd need to regroup and take a breath. It's something we've been talking about for even longer than the deaths of these, uh, in these issues. But we knew once we got specifically to this point, there would be a change for both of us to pause and spend time with our actual families before returning to our fictional ones. Honestly, they need more fodder, you know? They have to go live their real lives to put it into this great work, you know? I mean, that's what makes it so amazing and so, you know, it's not the splashy images, it's not the robot dicks. It's definitely the heart that makes this comic sing so, so beautifully. Part
4: of me secretly thinks that, like, he, uh, Brian K. Vaughan is waiting for his own kids to grow up more and, like, have more thoughts and more, like, truth to tell from that point of view.
3: I have a feeling the next time we see Hazel, she's going to be a lot older. I think she's mm-hmm. going to be, like, in her teens, maybe even, like, high school age. You know what I mean? Like, I think she's going to be quite a bit older uh, the next time we see her. Because, of course, in between every trade, she grows quite a bit. But this mm-hmm. is going to be, like, I think a huge leap. We'll have an older Alana you know, and, and, and you know, growing into uh, d- d- more like her mother's age when we first meet her, you know. She says
4: uh, young Squire is her brother uh, in one of the issues, so, like, uh-huh. they'll have
3: been living together. There's a, so much yes. more story to tell. The, the, uh, Prince Robot IV's, uh son. We're in the spoiler territory. These people know. These people know fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. Squire. These people know what's up. So, either way, I have a quote to end on. Uh, do you have anything else to say? I, I think I've said my piece completely. I, I've gushed uh the biggest gush maybe ever uh since like uh dark souls or ff7 <laughs> Uh, back in 2000 uh back in that initial panel
4: that i keep referring to because it is like kind of this amazing moment where they are excited for this new project and all these big ideas uh brian said that he uh when planning for the future i hope it doesn't end until i die and then turns to fiona stables and is like not to scare you fiona <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, So, yeah, this is the quote I wanted to end on. I think it sums up really well what I love about this story. Uh, Here we go from Brian K. Vaughn. To try and do a fantasy sci-fi story, but to try and do it with the complexity and moral grays of actual conflict has been an education for me. I think a lot about violence and how much I absolutely love violence in fiction, where it's beautiful and funny and cathartic. But violence in reality is universally stupid and immoral and ugly. So... How do we, you wed these two concepts together? That has a lot to do with this conclusion we were trying to explore. There it is. It's a good one to end on. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. Check us out further on Patreon, oh, Patreon. Remember when
4: Lioncat, like, uh, you know, when Sophie was laying there with Lioncat and she was like, my name is Sophie. I want to be an artist or like a firefighter. I'm worthless
3: because people did bad. And then Lioncat's like lying. And she just <laughs> hugs him. It's So good. Uh, check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got bonus episodes every single week where we talk about the things we're watching and playing and doing and uh, different uh, side topics. It's a whole,
4: separate, it's a whole nother show. It's like all why, you've been listening to this show and you're like, I wish there was more show. There is way more show for you right behind those
3: beautiful uh, $5. Or like if you're like, man, I feel like I listen to these dudes so much. It's like I know them. Well, why don't you come get to know us in uh, in a sense in person uh, online? So it's not in person, Holden, you dolt. But either way, <laughs> join our study sessions for fit, the $15 Patreon layer. You can join us every Sunday for about an hour and a half. Or so uh, we hang out. We just talk about what's going to go into that week's episode, watch stuff together, play games together that all generally center around the upcoming episode. Or if we get to a point where we're like, all right, we're good on this topic. I usually just tend to jump on KOTOR and you can hang out while I play KOTOR. You can
4: demand that he does evil shit.
3: <laughs> but either way, uh, yeah, you can catch me also twitch.tv forward slash ho. And, uh, yeah, I'm streaming Monday, Tuesday, Friday night. Jake!
4: Follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung, to see, read, and experience all of my uh, internet-related farts, and uh, I'll usually drop some interesting tidbits from that week's research, uh, that, you know, visual stuff that I can't share on the show.
3: And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that Dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him.
1: Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org
2: slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw